<laughs> I sold from the stage and drove $100,000 of revenue in 60 minutes by wow. selling 40 packages at $2,500 each. And then the recurring on that is $100,000 a month. So that's a six-figure agency. Listening to the Rich Ad Poor Ad podcast, where we break down the financial principles that rich advertisers are deploying today to turn advertising into profit and get tons of traffic to their websites without killing their cash. These advertisers, agencies, affiliates, brands are responsible for managing over a billion dollars a year in ad spend. You'll hear about what's working for them today, their rich ads, and we'll roast their epic failures and crappy ads on the internet with poor ads. Let's get into it. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Rich Ad, Poor Ad podcast. This is your host, Zach Johnson, founder and CEO of Funnel Dash. I am so excited to have on the show today, Dennis Yu, the CEO, CMO, and CTO of Blitz Metrics. Dennis has got double decades of experience when it comes to online advertising, uh, paid advertising, and is just like prolific when it comes to uh, online education and helping business owners uh, get up to speed and really simplify um, the world of, of paid advertising. So Dennis has been featured on a ton of articles. I mean, if, if you don't know who Dennis Yu is and you're on the show, you, you've been you know sleeping under a rock, but he's been on <laughs> <laughs> the Wall Street Journal, uh, you know, TechCrunch, um, I think Social Media Examiner, you've been on uh, uh, Ad Week. Um, I mean, and, and obviously, you know, you, you're speaking at like pretty much every social media uh, marketing conference uh, there is. So we're excited to, to, to spice things up with, with Dennis and, and, and kind of throw a curveball, talk about some obviously some rich ads, some poor ads, yeah. uh, but really talk about some things that we haven't heard Dennis talk about in the past, which is the financial principles. Of, uh, of scaling ads and particularly around how he structures uh, his revenue shares, how he structures his client contracts. I think he's doing some really interesting things in, in the world of online education right now by partnering with some influencers. So without further ado, Dylan, what do you say? Should we bring him on the show? Oh man, let's get him on. Y'all are going to geek out over this. I'm already geeking out already. So let's make the All magic right. happen. Let's do it. Dennis, welcome to the show. What's up, Zach? Dylan? Yes, man. We're so excited to have you on. It's dude, there's very few people that we have on a show that's got, you know, as much experience as you. I mean, I'm looking at your LinkedIn right now. 20 years, man. 20 yeah, years. Old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is your I mean, you know, 20 years as the CEO of yourself, right? Dennis Hugh. Yeah. I love it, man. Well, I built my first website over 30 years ago. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, I am uh, excited to have you here. Why don't you tell everybody what what are you up to now? What what are you excited about right now, and uh, what's on the cutting edge in, in your world? You know, I've been talking about local for a long time, and I thought this would have happened 15 years ago, but now because of the acceleration in people going online, there is no better time to serve local agencies. Before we started recording, I was telling you guys I was in Indianapolis at a conference with 300 chiropractors. Yeah. Can you believe that? Mm. All together, not Zoom, actual in-person in an arena. We were all spaced out. You know, well, not spaced out as in crazy spaced out, but you know, six feet distant. And <laughs> I sold from the stage and drove $100,000 of revenue in 60 minutes by wow. selling 40 packages at $2,500 each. And then the recurring on that is $100,000 a month. 
So that's a six-figure agency started from zero to 60 minutes, and it's chiropractors. And I think the opportunity in anyone who is, so serving dentists and doctors and real estate agents and chiropractors is so easy if you know how to collect video, like we were talking about before, and then the cost of traffic on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, even YouTube is so cheap that it is easy now to drive sales for local service businesses. Not here's here's what I love about that, Dennis. I I think that, you know, you've got a a pretty sizable agency going on with like, how many VAs did you say before this call you've got going on? A triple digit. Like a couple hundred. Yeah. Like (laughs) a couple hundred VAs. Okay. What I think is interesting is there's so many people that like are not that like, that organized and systemized in in their business and in their agency to be able to speak on stage and onboard that many clients. And that says to me, like, okay, here's a guy that uh, has systemized not only your sales process, uh, which is where everybody starts, but really uh, you've systemized the back end on on the services as well. So kudos to you, man, on, on, you know, the success of that event. But you know, services is 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 very difficult um, to systemize to, to the level of scale that you've done. So I'm excited to dive into that today. Well, if it's if you treat it like a SaaS, so whether you create software that people are using or whether you're selling packaged services, I believe all services are products and all products are services. And some people call them productized services. And so for us, yeah. whether we're executing through a team of VAs or through software that we have, and by the way, I think of VAs as being just a step ahead of the machine, right? We, ah, we haven't quite gotten to the point of automating that part, so we're using DAs, right? Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, it's the same thing because if I'm not having to do it, what's the difference, right? If a VA is doing it or a piece of software is doing it, I'm just looking at the cost and quality, right? Yeah. Oh, no, I love it. I, I, I totally love it. So I want to hear about this, this winning ad, man. We're, we're looking at it right here. And... Dennis, you've seen a ton of ad campaigns, right? So like, this is, I'm pretty excited about, um, you know, why, why, why this is a rich ad and you guys are obviously managing a ton of spend, you know, across all your, all your clients, which I'm totally curious, by the way, to know how much ad spend you guys uh, are are managing across the board, if you'll share, but uh, walk us through, you know, uh, this particular rich ad, why it's working and uh, what you love about it. Good. Let's start on the one on the left. <clears throat> so this is for Ashley Furniture. They're now called Ashley Home Store. They're the world's largest furniture manufacturer and retailer. A lot of people say, what about Ikea? They're way bigger than Ikea. Ikea doesn't really? have anything. Yep. Huh. Ikea's stores are bigger, but there's way more Ashleys. And the next time you drive down the street, you're like, oh, yeah, Dennis was talking about Ashley. That must be one of them, right? Now, this is where people, they don't intentionally lie, but they mislead when they talk about ad performance because you can easily... Oh. Don't get me started on this, Dennis. Don't get me started on this. Let me tell you you what is true, and then let me tell you what I didn't say, okay? So this ad on the left, we spent $66.73, and we drove $10,000 in revenue through the POS. Not fake revenue. This is cash registered revenue matched back as an offline conversion. And you guys know Facebook and Google both allow for offline conversions, where Mm -hmm. you upload the leads or upload the sales from your POS up in the Facebook for matching on name, address, phone, pixels, you know, email, that kind of thing. 
they might look at this and say, wow, it has a 158.96 ROAS. You put in $1, get back $158 in sales. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. Sign me how up. About, how about the one on the right? This one says it's the Darcy sofa for $399. I think there's six colors that you can get this sofa in. And it's great for college kids who are poor and they're otherwise sleeping on the floor or shopping at Goodwill. But you can get a brand new sofa for $399. It's sort of comfortable. And there's a video there, of course, which gives us higher engagement, a lower CPM, all kinds of good things that Facebook's looking for. Of course, we know video is important, which is where most of our VAs are. They're editing video. That's our secret. And here we spent $23 and we drove $8,000 of revenue. That's pretty awesome, right? And the ROS is even better. It's 33,845%. Yeah. So spend a dollar, get back $338 in revenue. And we've done this over and over and over again. Sounds great, right? Who wouldn't want that? So then what's the catch? How do we drive these sales? So what am I not saying? Tell me, tell me. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> I don't know. What do you What do you think, Dylan? You You get. Yeah. Dylan, go for it. I, think it's I mean, five or six things. Five or six things I didn't mention. But yeah, I mean, I, they're so simple and sleek. Um, so I mean, yeah. I mean, you didn't mention how long it took that revenue to come in. <laughs> yep. I don't. But coming uh, through on standard attribution, which on Facebook is a one day click, and or sorry. One day view and 28 day click. Mm -hmm. So standard attribution, which is also last click. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Dylan, what do you think? What, what's he missing here in this story? Um, man, a headline on that middle ad. I don't know if that was planned to be, but that's throwing me for a loop to be completely honest with you. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm really not, not sure to be honest with you. These, these, they look slick, but it had to have been targeting super local, super refined, or these bigger audiences, smaller audiences, you know, where you're optimizing for purchases using conversion campaigns, um, yeah. more video view or an engagement to kind of maximize the reach. I mean, the amount of yeah. variables are just unreal, but it's, yeah. it's, I like the store visit assets you kind of added into here to where yeah. offline conversions, they're sometimes tricky, but when you kind of, you know, unlock that kimono, they're beautiful. So, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. yeah. So in this case, we're optimizing to a store visit because we know that if they go into the store, they're very likely to buy. One in three people who go into the store, they buy. A couple wow. things I didn't mention is that this is bottom of funnel. So if we go several steps up into the top of funnel, the ROAS tends to not be quite as good. Why? Because the people that are converting at the bottom of the funnel, by the time they get there, They've already seen 10 of our ads. Dude, okay. I fell for it again. I fall for this every single <laughs> time. I'm like ads. a victim of this every single day in ad buyers group or any Facebook group. And I'm like, oh, those are really good stats. And then uh -huh. my, my I get all excited. My greed glands going. Like I could pull that off. And then you're like, oh, yeah, he was just sharing with targeting numbers. <laughs> yep. and, and the same thing is on Google. So I can show you the Google numbers. So when someone types in Ashley Furniture and they get the maps and directions and they go to the store and buy, the ROAS is fantastic on that, right? Mm -hmm. And some people would argue, well, that's cannibalizing organic. About 20%, sure. 25% is cannibalizing organic, but still the ROAS is incredible. But what drove them into typing that into their phone was that they saw our ads on Facebook and on YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and everywhere else that then caused them to think, huh, I need a new couch, right? Or when they're driving by, they get hit with an ad because we're geo-targeting. We're, we're hitting these people 
with tons of content at every stage in the funnel. So you know that Facebook, for example, has awareness, consideration, conversion as their three levels of the funnel. Mm-hmm. And when you run ads on TikTok or Quora or the other social networks, you know what they name those three stages in the funnel? No. Yeah, have Google, no idea. They, they give it the exact same name. <laughs> that makes sense. It, it looks like collusion, right? So here, middle of the funnel, <laughs> consideration, bottom of the funnel, conversion. So we take these same assets and we run them across every one of these networks so they're all retargeting against each other. And that's, that's how we're able awesome. to drive these sales. Also, there's another thing I didn't mention. Imagine it was Dylan and Zach's awesome furniture store. Oh, I like this. Versus Ashley Furniture, right? And somebody's driving along, a 45-year-old mom, and she sees on one side of the street, Dylan and Zach's awesome furniture, or Ashley Furniture on the other side of the street. Who's she going to go visit? Obviously, Dylan's. Dylan's got to, yeah, Dylan would probably, you know, probably be the the best-looking billboard outside of the uh, the store there. Dylan's got, he's much younger, he's much better looking. Having a free car wash, for one, (laughs) so I mean... You, you could win with cougar bait. So that, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could have the leopard skin couches. See if you can draw them in. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> that's funny. But the advantage we have here is that they're such a well-known brand for such right. a long time. It's the reason why McDonald's is the number one hamburger company or, or food company on the planet. It's not because mm-hmm. they have the best burgers, but when people are driving down the interstate, and they see, you know, John's hamburgers versus McDonald's. They're like, mm, I yeah. know John's hamburgers could be good, but I might also get diarrhea. So I'm going to yeah. go to McDonald's, yeah. right? Yeah. And the name recognition is so key. So we always take on clients that have strong name recognition, not folks who have just started their company, even if yes. they're really excited and all that. I never, never fall for that sucker punch. <laughs> We take companies that are known in their neighborhood. They don't have to be national brands like, you know, the Golden State Warriors or Red Bull or guys like that. We run ads for Starbucks. I love running ads for Starbucks. One time they gave us $17 million for Frappuccino over the Ugh. summer, which is incredible. <laughs> That's great. And, and so well, it's hard I mean, to, it's here's hard the thing, though. I want to talk about this for a second. Yeah. yeah so let's, let's dive into that in a second because. I think for the agency audience that's listening to this show could really learn a lot about how you've really systemized and got very clear on just who, who, who you can work with and who you can't work with. Right. And it's very, a lot of early agencies um, and honestly established ones are just, you know, taking on any client. They're either on the churn and burn model or, um, or they're just trying to ramp up and, and, and clients are in and out the door within, you know, three to three to six months. But mm-hmm. what I, and I, I really didn't, um, it took me years to understand this. And it, it was a, it was a breakthrough for me. And you talk about it so naturally as if it's just, you know, so matter of fact, and as if you've known it for 20 years, mm-hmm. but you know, I think like the 80, 20, the 80, 20 of agency growth is client selection. Yeah. And it's, picking clients that I want you to highlight, which is one that will actually work with ads, but two really picking clients that will scale, right? Like if you're, if you're an agency and you're taking a percentage of spend and and you're picking clients where they're no matter what, they're always going to spend five grand a month because like they won't scale it. it, It's just a matter of time till that client turns out. Right. Right. And so 
in, in software, the, the dream is this kind of idea of like net negative churn of where the revenue accelerates the actual number of, of, of clients that are, that are leaving. Right. And if you can achieve that in the agency space where you're picking clients where it's like, oh yeah, this will work very easily with ads. And like, you'll be able to scale very quickly and like our retainer will scale as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's key. So talk about some of your criteria that's literally check a yes, yes or no box in terms of who you guys will work with. Well, first off, there's whether the client is local or non-local. So in this case, the chiropractors and the furniture stores and the real estate agents are all local. And you're right, they're capped out in how much they can spend per month. But would you rather have a thousand folks that are spending 5,000 a month and easy to maintain and paying you every month or something that's risky that could scale to millions because it's some e-com product or it's some B2B service software SaaS kind of thing? You have to decide- which poison you want. And we do both, but we think that local is actually the easier one. But if you are world-class at optimization, then definitely go for it. And if you're going down that route, the way I look at it is first, are you looking to, are you looking to help them start growing as in going from zero to a million, or are you helping them scale, which is going from a million to 10 million to 50 million? And Mm -hmm. The biggest mistake I see here for people who are going after e-com is they think about the potential of what's possible without realizing that going from zero to a million is way harder than going from 1 million to 100 million. Hmm. And the people that want to go from nothing to a million, they, you're really an investor and business partner and co-founder in their company. And you need to be treated as such. You need to have equity. You need to believe in it. It needs to be your primary thing. You can't be working on five different companies because that's like trying to be in professional basketball and professional football and professional golf and like all that at the same time. Like you won't be able to do it because the market is just too competitive, right? So if it's e-com, what I look for, and this is why I like working with, like when we had the Warriors, we did a rev share deal. We had, we had 1% of the revenue that came through, which doesn't sound like a lot, but actually it was a lot of money. Yeah, all that money coming through Ticketmaster, especially during the playoffs, it was a lot of money. And we did that because we knew we had a winning team, and thus running ads and having goals, content, and targeting in place. Uh, so back to the original question: screening, always know of that potential client, and we call them a partner if they're a rev share. What are their goals, content, and targeting? So in this case, with Ashley Furniture, we said we want to get a twenty ROAS, and we. I think we we're being paid on a 14 ROAS. So for every, we said, you know, rather than agency fees and such, for every dollar you pay us, we will guarantee $14 of revenue. Oof. Isn't that pretty awesome? Yeah. Right? And they're like, well, that's fantastic. But, but in order to have that discussion, they need to know what a profitable ROAS is. So whether it's e-com or furniture, they mm-hmm. need to know for a dollar they spend, how much do they need to get back? It's profitable and they won't know. So you've got to set up their plumbing. You have to figure out how profitable their other marketing channels are. In this case, we know that furniture is about a, a one to 12. We know that across TV and direct mail and whatnot, that when they spend a dollar, they get back about $12 in revenue. Is that $12 in profit? No. No, they've got costs. They have margin. They have overhead to pay. So their break even is about a 10. So if they get a 12, they're doing pretty well. Right. So ROI is not the same as ROAS. They said, okay, well, 
if a 10 ROAS is your break even and we do a deal at 14, then that, that's a win for you guys, right? Mm-hmm. And if we can get, and what is a store visit worth? And they said, well, in a store visit, it's worth about $12 to us. Okay. So if we can get a qualified customer into the store at $12, measured by Google and Facebook on a cost per store visit, then see here, we're looking at these. Actually, uh, we said, you know, we'll give it to you at 10, right? If we can get this for you at $10 or you, you can just pay us other stores. We said, you know, $10 per store visit. How many store visits do you want, right? Across how many locations do you have? And then our actual is coming in at $7.56. So what, what does that mean? That means we're an affiliate. You guys know how affiliates work. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, there's, they're buying it at 10 and we're, we're selling it to them or our cost is $7.56. So yeah. we're profiting $2.50 per store visit, right? And then if we're running through 10,000 store visits, that's a lot of money, right? How are you to use their brand? (laughs) Yeah, we're using their brand. That's the thing. That's why you got to qualify them, right? We're we're qualifying them. Mm -hmm. Plus, we know that it's it's a well-known furniture company with lots of 750 locations across the planet. We can drive tens of thousands of these per month. They already have huge name recognition. We do a ton of retargeting, which is going to work, of course. We then have a bunch of mid-funnel stuff. Anytime they have a big 4th of July sale or whatnot, we just crank up the, the spend and we know it's going to be profitable. Why? Because we can look at last year's results and see how they performed. So it's, it's reading the future. I know exactly how ads are going to perform because I can look at what's happened before and anything else that we've run. So there's very little risk. These ads that are running continue to run. In fact, this other couch I was showing you is not even in stock anymore, but it's still, it's, where is it? This couch here, this couch here, this Darcy. So <laughs> is not, they don't even make it anymore, but it doesn't matter because once people come into the store, they forgot what it was. They're like, Oh, what was that cheap couch? And like, Oh, there's this couch. Okay. I'll buy that. <laughs> now I do have, how are you tracking store visits? Is it a beacon? Um, I mean, I'm curious. I actually kind of seen that traffic come through cause I've seen it done so many ways yeah. and it's hard. There's, to, many, there's yeah. many ways to do it. Although I'm going to tell you the easiest way to do it that almost nobody knows. On Ooh. Facebook, we choose the store visit objective and Facebook tracks the store visit for us. They report on how many store visits there are. No. And when you look at how Facebook reports on store visits, you can that's a whole rabbit hole. Basically, they know where, like, what is it, minority report or, you know, Big Brother knows where you are. They, they know whether you're just walking through the mall and not actually going to the store. They know if you're kind of like lingering. They know if you're walking through the aisles, zigzagging. They know if you're stopping to go to the bathroom, like they know, they know what you're doing, right? They know if you're in a car, they, they, they know whether you sat down, right? So a store visit, I've never done a store visit campaign like ever, but like, (laughs) are you just like, are you just popping in the address of the each store or like, if you set up your, your local properly, your, your GMB, your Google, my business and like your lat long, then it, and then they use like Yext or these other tools to make sure it's accurate. Cause if that yeah. store is in a strip mall and it's not exact and there's 20 other stores in a strip mall, then it can mess things up. Right? Well, I guess like where's Facebook pulled in-store visit from? Do they just pull it from the Facebook page? You pull it, are you pulling it they, when, it, when they, the store the visit where that user is on their phone? So do you remember, I think it was 10 years ago, maybe eight years ago, Facebook required us to separately install messenger. So messenger used to be part of the native Facebook app. Yeah. But then they made it a separate app, right? Yeah. You know why they did that? More no. screen property? <laughs> no, that's what people thought. 
And a lot of people complain. And of course, their official reason was, oh, well, it's such an important app that it kind of needs to live as its own app. But yeah. the reason they did it was they wanted an app on the phone that tracked where you were. And Facebook knew 10 years ago that mobile was going to be where it's at. And all the information, yeah. your phone is always broadcasting where it is because it's pinging for a Wi-Fi signal, it's pinging for the cell tower. It's yeah, yeah. you know communicating who it is to... That's why there's all this enemy to the state, you know, minority report kind of stuff where all the shopper tracking, I don't want to go into all, all the tools and technology there, but there's a <laughs> lot of tools out there that will, like you think your phone is anonymous, people can track who you are and what your yeah, shopping yeah. are. That's pretty cool that you trust Facebook store, you know, uh, conversions. I was... I was it's actually more yeah a lot of people i was actually more like rudimentary of like how does it know where your business is yeah if you have like a multi-location oh they, they've uh, licensed data from everyone else so they they know it's accurate yeah and i've gone wow. up up and down with their teams i've flown into their headquarters and talked with the engineers about how they do it and i'm satisfied very satisfied with how they do it oh, gonna, oh my gosh you know how many man. people that are paying tens of thousands of dollars right now because they don't trust that number or because they've never really used it <laughs> they're like well, they're trying to yeah, if you're local and you want to get people into the store, why are you going for website clicks or leads or video views or engagement? The people that like, comment, and share on stuff are not the people who necessarily buy, okay? Mm -hmm. We've done tons of tests to show that that's the case. And the algorithm does that too. We've, done, we've had meetings with Facebook and the Instagram people too, which are part of Facebook. And we found that there are people out there who just click on stuff all day long and never buy anything. And if you choose that engage you know you you choose the objective of video views or leads or whatever you'll get cheaper leads you'll get cheaper video views but you might not get sales yeah. so for our case for local we chose store visits and mm -hmm. it worked and store That's visits awesome. tied back to the thing remember we talked about ref share we were being paid on for some of these guys uh, some on a ref share and as in like you know the 16 ROAS and others were being was a $10 store visit. So mm -hmm. if, if we're being paid $10 per store visit, what objective should we choose in our ad campaigns? Store visits, Facebook, give us what we want. You know? yeah. <laughs> so now we told them what we want because it ties with our business objective, the thing that we're being paid on. Then Facebook does all the work for us. Now we just got to put in the ingredients. We just got to put in the content, right? We got to run our ads the right way. See, look, and we're monitoring to see how we're doing. Look, we, this campaign name, if you can see this here, <laughs> is called three underscore store visits. This campaign is called one underscore top of the funnel awareness. This one, two underscore engagement. We're just driving remarketing all the way through. And this is how we're doing. We're monitoring the combination of store visits and offline purchases. And we tend to find that they go together, right? What do you know? I'm literally about to go test a store visit campaign later tonight. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm about to open a store in a pandemic just so I can run this ad campaign. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Funnel Nash's ad card, the only charge card exclusively for your digital ad spend. And if you're an ad agency that manages seven or even eight figures a year in media and ad spend for your clients, and you're looking to double your profits over the next six to 12 months, then check out ad card. See, the typical agency model is this. You charge 10% of your spend, you make 10 to 20% margin at the end of the day. So that's really one to 2% of your client's spend that is 
profit in your business. The easiest way to double that is to really find a way to earn in that one to 2% cash back of the card that is on file of your clients' ad account. And before ad card, what you had to do was invoice all your clients for their ad spend up front, which is really difficult on a cash flow basis and very difficult ask. And then you had to put the card on your own Amex or whatever card of choice to get that level of value back into your business. With AdCard, it's entirely different and streamlined. You simply get your clients on AdCard and make yourself the agency of record and you'll get the cash back as long as you're managing the ad spend. It's a great way to double your profit without doing any additional work. Check it out at FunnelDash.com. I love it, man. This is cool. All right, let's switch gears here, man. I want to talk about, uh, I want to, you know, I want to talk about a poor ad. Should we do, should we do this, Dylan? Yeah, yeah. So this is an actual ad I got hit by yesterday. I don't even think I'm a Virgo, but it's the one I sent via email to you, Dennis. Yeah. Zach, I don't know what you are either, man, but let's go ahead and roast this bad boy. I think it's a terrible ad, you know, personally, I'm not a Virgo. It's very feminine. Um, this was, <laughs> this is actually on my newsfeed yesterday. So, I mean, All right. Dennis, first thoughts, go ahead and rip it apart. Well, first off, Wax Wing Store. <laughs> I don't know who that is or what that is. And then that profile picture on the left, it's clearly an ad. Not because of the light gray sponsored, but in the newsfeed, I need to see things that look like a human, like a friend of mine would have posted. So if that was a public figure page and it was Dylan Carpenter, right? If there's a picture of Dylan Carpenter here, and it said Dylan Carpenter, then I might be willing to see the rest of this ad because it might be interesting because maybe you said something funny about it. I didn't even, you know, let's say I don't even know it's an ad, but right off, because I don't have any trust with whoever Waxwing store is, I don't even look at the rest of this. And then the pink shoes, <laughs> maybe I'm not in the, the pink roses and the, who knows? That's weird. At least it's vertical, right? So we know, we know on mobile, it's going to take up the whole newsfeed. Also, there's no social proof. So that is weird. And it's, you see, there's no likes or comments, but there is, I guess, one share. Oh, and you know, it's the guy who owns the store it, it, trying to flex on it. Like, <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. of course. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not even a Virgo. I'm a Libra. So like, <laughs> so I was like, wow. I'm they, a Libra they, too. My birthday's October 6th. Heck yeah. Bad targeting. But it, when you go straight to a product, so if you haven't seen their stuff before, if you haven't seen someone endorse it, and you go straight to a product that's like a bum on the street with a cardboard sign trying to sell you on some five dollar roses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They haven't established trust, they haven't told you a story. People buy because of the story. So, if they had some sort of thing where you know there's this Virgo and they fell in love, and I don't know, some story behind this thing here, maybe right? Plus, it looks like it's female targeted. Mm -hmm. Now, what are your thoughts on having the link in the actual copy versus having some sort of headline to click on, you know, with an actual CTA versus to get yours here? That's part of the same issue of trying to sell too early before building trust. That does hurt you organically, especially on LinkedIn, if you try to post a link in there. But I don't think it's that big of a deal. Why? Because the first thing that people look at is on the top left, who's saying it. Mm. So what actually is for? The second thing that people look at is the creative, the image, right? And the third thing they look at, if those first two are good, is they look at the copy. So the copy doesn't matter unless the first two are solid. Oh my gosh, there's just so much wrong with this ad. I love it, though. I mean, you know. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, thanks for, for it. 
want to yeah. catch your attention, I'd also make it a video too. I, I would make this some like blinking pink and black and green thing that just captures your attention. Actually, no, this says likes to keep it classy. Well, I guess <laughs> <laughs> everything about this is wrong. Yeah, the, the capital <laughs> is wrong. You've got triple punctuation there with the exclamation points. That's not allowed because you can't have more than two of those things. Engagement bait. Yeah, this this is this ad will get disapproved. Well, shoot, man, I was this close to converting on it, so I mean, <laughs> close one there. <laughs> I love it. So, <laughs> and switching gears here, man. Talk to us about uh, some financial principles of scaling ads, right? So, on this show, we're, we're trying to help marketers get a little bit more educated when it comes to uh the 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 financial aspect of advertising right so we've had folks come on here and really talk about payback periods and fundraising and cash and um and, and deal structure but i think you've seen um quite a bit and i think on this side really more for the 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 agency you know audience agencies constantly just struggle with with poor financial metrics, right? A lot of them are either on like net 30, 60, 90 terms with their clients or they're, they're, they're uh, maybe like pre-COVID, they could get away with like some pretty hefty like setup fees, but yeah. uh, with all the agencies, you know, coming into the space, they're getting pricing pressure. So what are, um, you know, what, what are some best practices and tips, you know, that you might have for, uh, for listeners? Well, number one, if you have the balls, charge up front. We had a client that started with us last month and they wired us in $500,000 up front, the media budget. Why? Because they just wanted to have, they wanted to write one check that was the media budget plus the fee. And that's great for us because then we earn all the credit card miles, you know, airline miles, that kind of stuff too. I don't like the idea of post-pay. So when it was like MGM or Nike or Allstate Insurance and we were doing stuff with them, they would pay net 60 and net, and net 90, which is brutal. Yeah. Remember we had campaigns, we were running for Quiznos, which, you know, they're, they're a competitor to Subway. And we were spending, I think, 250 or 300 a month, which was a lot for us to carry. Because, you know, you never want to tie up that amount of cash, even though you do want to earn the points. At a certain point, it's like, uh, I'd rather have yeah. them carry that, even though I do like getting a couple hundred thousand points every month. But I remember they switched over to a new system, a new system for processing invoices and all that. And we went to three months where they didn't pay. And oh. I was right at the limit because I'm holding a million dollars in money that's not been reimbursed on ad spend. Oh, God. I'm about to call them. I want to say like, hey, um, can you hurry up and pay? Because we're about to turn off your ad account because we can't. We literally don't have any more money, right? Yeah. But, but what are you going to do in that situation? Tell them, hey, we're out of money. Or you know, demand that or turn off the ad account, or, or go to a friend, or, you know, go to the bank and say, "Hey, I need a short-term loan," or go to the pot shop. Yeah. What are you gonna like? None of those options are very good options. So I like to get paid up front. The only time we don't get paid up front is when it's a Fortune 500 company and they have some crazy accounting team where like this is the way they pay their vendors and that's what you have to do. But right. in the last ten years, we've always been paid up front and. With smaller companies, they often don't have the cash flow where they can pay you 20 G's up front. So maybe mm -hmm. you start off with $5,000 and you spread that as a retainer over five or six months. But really what you're doing is offering them a financing plan. 
And as a performance agency, you guys know, anyone listening, you know that 80, 90% of the work is in the setup. And then the monthly mm-hmm. ongoing is not as much, unless you're tuning e-com where there's a lot of testing, but usually the work is in the beginning. So, yep. you know, instead of charging them 20 up front and 2000 a month after, you just charge them five a month. So you're giving a financing plan. And anyone who's doing local or small biz or startup, what you're really doing is a financing plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, what you just said, the, the whole um, the classic like agency billing for ad spend up front so they can kind of put it on the card. Yeah. <laughs> so like that was a big part, a, a, a big part that we took into consideration with, with ad card and, and, and building it is because like yeah. Amex really hates those situations. Right. And, and yeah. really like these, these ad agencies that are you know spending like whatever 20, 50 million in spend, they're not quote unquote, like credit worthy <laughs> to, yeah. to really even have those limits. Right. So you're kind of lucky to, to end up with those level of limits and, Part of uh, inspiration was like, hey, wh- why can't like the, the the client own the card and like pay for the spend, but then the agency kind of participate in in the the cash back and the rewards and in, in the incentive yeah. um, because they're the ones managing the ad spend, right? And, and kind of yeah. have that flexibility of who has it, but not have to go through all the shenanigans of like, I'm going to bill you up front on ACH and I'm going to put it on my card and then I'm going to make sure that those line up. That's kind of an accounting nightmare. (laughs) It's brutal. Hey, you know, we we have uh, this coming up. You'll see it launch in a couple of weeks, you know, Pitbull. Yeah. Um, So we have a pay-per-view that is benefiting charity and it's celebrating his timeless classics and we're doing a rev share with him. So instead of charging an agency kind of fee, yeah. We're getting 7% of the net and we're getting reimbursed on the ad spend based on a 200% ROAS. So Ooh. we're projecting $600,000, $700,000 in revenue, which means we're going to spend about 300 in ads and then we're going to make 7% on top of that. So we're taking 57%, 57 cents on every dollar that's coming through. Originally, and this, this shows you how negotiations work. I said, Hey, uh, <clears throat> If you guys want to run the standard agency approach, we'll just charge you 10% of ad spend, right? right? So we'll just charge you like 30 grand, right? If we spend 300, we'll charge you 30 grand, which is what most agencies would do. But if you care about performance and they're like, yeah, yeah, we care more about performance because otherwise you'll just spend money and you know it's too risky. Said, okay, good. Then we'll run ads on your account and it's your credit card and we will be paid... I think we said five and a half percent. That was our fee right, of, of the overall revenue. And I said, but if we put it on our card and we are taking the cash risk and it's running on our account, then you're going to pay us 7% of the gross as our fee. Mm. And you see that they chose the latter, yeah. which is kind of what I wanted them to choose anyway. But if I didn't present the option of being a traditional media agency and also present the it's on your card option, then they wouldn't see the true value of us taking the financial risk. So I intentionally made those other two options available to underscore the fact that the performance deal needs to be paid where we're fronting the risk is basically as a super affiliate where there's no other affiliates, then right. they need to pay more for that. Right. I think and, what's and so- really interesting, Dennis, how you're structuring this is you're really focused on people that have brands and you're really coming in and you're saying like, look, I, I know this brand is strong enough 
to hit XYZ ROAS target, right? Especially if you're getting access to their ad account and you're, you're auditing it. And you're, you're setting a, a, a benchmark in, in terms of that minimum threshold on that ROAS, which you know, anybody that's working with startups or businesses doing less than a million a year or haven't been around and, and don't have that brand presence can't make that level of, of guarantee. And uh, I, I think you're bringing, you're bringing uh, the performance marketing world to, you know, brands kind of in this like agency partnership, yeah. you know, structure, which is, um, I think that, you know, ag- the agency name is, has gotten tarnished for lack of performance and performance marketing has really gotten tarnished for its lack of respect to the brand and, and sketchiness. And yeah. you're kind of really presenting it as a, hey, we're your market, you know, I think a partnerships is probably like the umbrella that you're, you're probably operating under, which I think is pretty cool. It's the clean side of affiliate marketing, right? <laughs> I mean, you and I go way back. When you think about affiliate or performance marketing, it's scammy stuff, scammy products and scammy techniques. And when you think about traditional agency, it's media buyers where it's yellow page salespeople, people that are just spending money, but really yeah. in the world of good brands of well-known brands, which include dentists and plumbers and people who have legit businesses, not fly by night, e-com, $100 military flashlight, you know, <laughs> masks, whatever <laughs> kind of stuff for people, like not predatory things. You really don't see, and I know it's 2020, but you really don't see performance-driven agencies. You don't because A, they don't know how to charge that way. B, they can't drive the performance. C, they don't have the name to do it. So if you're going to go, if you, and hey, if you're just starting off and you don't have the connections to get a Nike or a Pitbull or Ashley, and you want, you know, and then some, some friend of yours has some makeup product right? That does something amazing. And you think it could be huge. Those people actually need to pay more than the big brands. And it seems ridiculous, but the big, you, you, and and some people say, oh, but I want to start with the small guys. You know, it's too risky for me to start in the big brands. The riskiest thing you can do is smart to start with the small guys. And in the last month, we've had 10 or 20 of these guys come through. I spent the whole day filming with Jake Paul, even show you the stuff that we did filming at his mansion. We have a $20 program that we're launching, which I stand behind. I think it's awesome if you want to get a certification as an influencer, I'm arguably the top, you know, the, the number one influence on the planet, $20, you get everything. There's no upsell. There's no trick. It's well-produced. Why? Because we put all the effort into it. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Now we've got the custom audiences of all of Jake Paul's stuff. Just like with Pitbull, we have his YouTube channel. We have his website. I mean, good. We have his email list. How do you not win? No, in, why wouldn't you want to start with that? So negotiate a rev share. The big brands don't understand, don't know that it's possible to get performance-based deals. They're used to paying a fee to mm-hmm. a media company or agency or PR company or video editing, production, website building, whatever kind of company. But when you, when you show that you're driving them more revenue against their chosen business objective, like store visits, it's a business objective, right? Literally, when we talk to the folks at Ashley, and they want to know, well, how are you different from this other agency? Because we already have these three agencies that do these other things. And how are you different? And I'll say, very simple. You're going to pay us only on the metric that matters. Which of these metrics matter to you? How much money you spent? How many eyeballs you had? How many impressions there were? Or how many people went into the store and how much revenue you got? Oh, and what if we, 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 we stand behind our performance so much that 
we're willing to live and die by that. So if if it's a one to to sixteen ROAS, then and we don't drive that. Guess who has to pay for the difference to get you up to the sixteen? We do. We have to eat that. But if we drive a twenty ROAS, then we get to pocket the difference. Do you know of another agency that's willing to do that? And their answer every time is no. And that's when you've won the deal. I love if it. You can, if you can stand behind it, if you can, you know, put your money where your mouth is and follow these techniques that we're showing you here, it's almost guaranteed to win. And then your political skills are actually more important than your technical skills. But of course you need both. That's awesome. Well, there you have it. Dennis, you absolutely crushed it on this episode of Rich Ed, Poor Ed. I love this, man. This is, this is going to be going down as one of my favorite episodes so far. So, and I really mean that. I know every podcast host does that, but uh, <laughs> I really do. I really do. It's my first uh, I love it, man. So, yeah, you got a ton going on, man. And um, you, you got a ton of different partnerships. Uh, you know, for, for those that are interested in reaching out or uh, working with you in some way, how, how can I get in touch? For business, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. You can Google me and see all this, you know, but don't friend request me on Facebook. Hit me up on LinkedIn. And if you're a personal friend of mine, hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but I would love to see you guys grow your agencies. There's simple techniques that a lot of us are not applying properly. And now is the time, at least for me and my career to see other people thrive. The number one thing I'm working on is helping other agencies scale. And so it's an honor, Dylan, Zach, being with you guys, being able to teach because this is what, you know, when there's a crisis, there's more opportunity. And if you're not making money right now, you're, you're, you're doing something wrong because it's easy to make money right now. No offense. So easy. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Dennis. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll have you back on the show soon. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Rich Ad Poor Ed podcast. If you're like me and listen to podcasts on the go, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and richadpoored.com slash podcast. And if you absolutely love the show, go ahead and leave a review and a comment, share with a friend. If you do, take a copy, screenshot of it, email me, Zach at funnel-dash.com. Show me you left a review. And I'll give you a free copy of the Rich Ad Poor Ed book. To learn more about the book, go to richadpoored.com. To leave a review, go to richadpored.com slash review. Thanks again.